Um, let, let me just do a little primer here. We, we asked over the last few weeks on Instagram, if you're on Instagram, and you've got a picture on your phone of a place in Memphis, place outside in Memphis that you love, okay, that you've experienced God's presence at maybe, that you would post it and tag present 901, okay? So there's info about this in the link in the back. If you've got that picture on your phone right now and you haven't posted it yet and you want to go ahead and do it, I'll give you permission just this once to be on your phone for like two minutes, Okay, if you're on your phone after that, I'm going to call you out. But just, just two minutes. Go ahead and post it. We're going to show those at the end of the sermon and then after service. So places in Memphis that you love, that you've experienced God's presence. Let's start with prayer today. <clears throat> God, I'm so thankful to be gathered together with your body. I'm thankful that we come from all over, all, all over the city, that we've driven through your created world magnificent, incredible all around us, even as we made our way here in the car. I pray that you help us to notice it and to be thankful for it. And to that end, I want to thank you most of all for your son Jesus, whom Colossians tells us was there when you created the world, participated in that very act of creation. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. When despair for the world grows in me, And I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting for their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. That's the piece of wild things by author Wendell Berry. The peace, the peace of wild things. Those two words seem a bit at odds, don't they? Peace and wild. You know, they're not so contradictory as maybe like war and peace, but they don't seem to go together like, I don't know, peace and quiet or something like that. The peace of wild things seems kind of logically, well, improbable to us, except that, like me, you've probably experienced the peace of wild things before. You see, there are places in this world, wild places, where you and me, where we have found peace before. Before it was 100 degrees outside, and I can't complain because this weekend was great, was it not? Amen. Can I get an amen? But before it was 100 degrees outside and the Memphis mosquito population made its annual bloodthirsty rampage begin, I used to frequent one of those places, one of those special places. In the morning, I would load up Noble in a pack on my back and throw him inside. The pack's made for that. He can breathe. Don't, don't worry. <clears throat> And we'd saddle up our, our trusty dachshund Tucker with his leash, and Lindsay and I would head off to the woods, to this trail that leads away from the road and into the woods. The trail runs along the Wolf River. Many of you have probably been on this trail before. It follows the river, so where the river bends, the trail bends. It's always in sight of the water. Sycamore trees, white and gangly, tower above us and hang over the trail, and we stop to point them out to Noble, and when he sees them, His eyes grow wide and his face grows very serious. He takes it all in. 
So after a while, a certain point in the trail, we slip under this fallen tree that's resting in the bough of another tree, slip under it, and we head down the sandy shore to a sandbar in the Wolf River that extends when the water's down low, probably about a football field and maybe 30 yards wide at its widest. Uh, there was a rope swing on one end for a while until a teenager swung on it and broke it mid-swing and, and didn't land gracefully, and we laughed. Noble digs his toes into the sand when we get there. He smiles. So we take off our shoes and we do the same. Now, you, you got to be paying attention for broken beer bottles, but we try not to let that slow us down. <clears throat> Tucker, our dog, sprints up and down the water, chasing sticks as they float by. And a couple times he has waded too far out and been swept downstream. And Lindsay's running, panicked and pregnant behind him. It's a sight to see, right? We haven't lost him yet, though. It's a special place, right? As the crow flies, it's probably not more than a half mile from Luke 240, but it feels wild out there by the Wolf River. Noble wetted his first fishing line there. Cranes land and tiptoe through the water looking for fish, and the water just kind of drifts by. I remember once there, it was back in the fall, the sky was overcast. It was early morning. I remember looking at my family in this wild space that we had all to ourselves, all around us, right? I look around and I just felt absolute peace. You know, not another place in the world I wanted to be at that moment. No desire to check my phone, my email. No desire to run an errand. I just wanted to be there, in that place. I knew right then that in that place, at least for me, heaven and earth weren't so distant. And that God's marks on that place, I think, are all around if you just go there and you look. So I can imagine David, okay, the great king of Israel, before he's king, in a similar place when he writes Psalm 19. You know, David spent a lot of time outside. Have you, have you considered that the majority of times we read about David in the Old Testament, he's outside, not inside? Okay. The whole of 1 Samuel, basically, he's on the run. He's sleeping in caves sleeping out under stars, running between mountains and valleys. And I can imagine him in a place maybe like the Wolf River when he looks up one day, looks out at this created world around him, sees the sun rise and begin to arc across the sky. And he's so moved by what he sees that he pins these words. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Notice who's talking. Okay, notice who's talking. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming up out of his chamber like a champion, rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is deprived of its warmth. Psalm 19. So remember that song, This Is My Father's World? You remember that? We're going to sing it here in a minute, so I hope you do. We used to sing it all the time at Cottonwood Church of Christ in West Texas, where I was for three years before this. All 12 of us, we would we would sing it out. So I don't think I started that song on the right pitch one time, which in that song is dangerous, you know. This is my father's world. But we would sing it out there. They love that song. 
And I think they loved it for a couple of reasons. You know, these were farmers and ranchers who, like David, spent their days outside. You know, they woke before the sun came up and they saw it during the day make its circuit across the heavens, landing on their ranches and their farms, nothing deprived of its warmth, like David says. For many of us, that song has a great melody. You know, we remember it from our childhood. But for them, the song, well, it was just true. All nature sings. Rocks and trees and skies and seas. But for them, the song was also biblical. And these were biblical folks. They had, those 12 people had that going for them, right? They read their Bible. And they read their Bible too much to believe what I did growing up, that after Judgment Day, we're all going to be whisked away to heaven and earth's just going to blow up with a big stick of dynamite. I used to wonder how God was going to do that. But they read their Bibles, and they know that in Revelation, that's not the case. That heaven is, in fact, coming down to earth, transforming the earth, making it new. And so when they got to that line, and this is my Father's world, and earth and heaven be one, they sang it out. Because for them, on places, in their ranches, and on their farms, there were a couple places there where, in their minds, earth and heaven were already becoming one. Okay. Celtic Christians call these thin places, thin places. So for them, theology and ecology kind of blend together in this weird mixture. You see, they believe that heaven is only three feet away from the visible earth all around us, only three feet away, never very far away, okay? But in some places, it's closer, and they call those thin places, thin places, places on earth where you can go and hear from heaven, Okay, as this psalm says, places on earth where the heavens declare the glory of God. And if you'll just go there, well, you can hear it. It's like the Apache Indians used to say, wisdom sits in places, in places. So I know that sounds kind of mystical, like, like maybe I've been smoking the peace pipe, but I haven't. I have it. In fact, this shows up all throughout Scripture and especially in the Psalms. This whole God, nature thing, it's actually everywhere. So Psalms 19 isn't the only place. It, it, it shows up in Psalm 104 where Israel looks out on the mountains and valleys that surround Jerusalem. Okay, they see the rain falling, providing for the earth. They see the grass growing, providing for the cattle. And they are dazzled, dazzled by God, Psalm 104. In Psalm 148, the sun and moon, the birds, the trees, the fish, they all have a job to do, okay? Like here in Psalm 19, their job is to sing praises to God. And so in Psalm 148, Israel just kicks back and watches while God's creation sings back to its creator. And in Psalm 8, David looks and he sees the works of God's fingers. Remember that line, the works of your hands. And the works are fish and birds and trees, flocks. David sees the works of God's hands, the created world around, and says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The wisdom, the majesty, the glory of God present all around us, outside, in thin places. In all of these texts, there is a voice speaking through creation, through outside right it's mysterious 
In our text here, it's a wordless language, so it's hard to understand. But for David, it was a voice that was really important to listen to. So N.T. Wright explains it like this. Imagine that you've got a fellow who's going through his parents' old home after they've passed on. And he's up in the attic, and he's sifting through all these old things. And he sees over in the corner something catches his eye. So he goes over there, and he parts the cobwebs, and he grabs hold of it, and it's a sheet of paper. Okay? And he, he unrolls it, and he, he can tell it's sheet music, okay? sheet music, but he's not a musician. So he can tell it's really old, though. He takes it into town to this local shop where there's a musical expert there, and he shows it to her, and her eyes light up okay? because the handwriting looks really familiar to her. She sits down at the piano, it's a piece for the piano, and she begins to play it, and it's beautiful, okay? And the style is really familiar, but the tune is new. She has never heard this before. She plays it a while, she calls some of her friends, and they confirm, yes, this is a piece previously undiscovered by the famous composer Mozart, for example, okay? And as such, it is priceless, okay? But it's just the piano music. It's a part of a symphony that no, from Mozart that nobody has ever heard before. So, right, this is a priceless discovery. So she tells the guy, she goes, was there any more music up there in the attic? And he says, no, well, that was all I had. So, so she can play this piano music again and again, and she can tell it's masterful, it's incredible. This is the work of a master, no doubt, and she enjoys it. But, but she knows it's only a taste of what the full symphony must be like. So for David in this psalm, Psalm 19, the created world around him that he wakes up and looks out on, okay, is like that piano piece. It is a sample of what we might call God's symphony, okay? All through the earth, in thin places, this echo of who God is, okay, God revealing himself in the created world, it's out there and can be heard. So Paul talks about this in Romans 1. He says that God's eternal power, God's divine nature are clear to anybody who pays attention to outside, to the created world. So in trees and streams and birds and fish, there's the peace of wild things. Okay, but that's not all we got. It's not the only music we got. It's just the music we don't usually listen to. So halfway through, David switches topics. In the same psalm, Psalm 19, the first six verses are about creation. And starting at verse 7, he starts talking about the law of the Lord, which is perfect, reviving the soul. And then he spends verse after verse talking about Scripture and how the echo of God's voice, who God is, can be understood from reading Scripture, too. That echo, that voice can be heard there. So if creation is the piano, Scripture is the sheet music for the strings or the horns. And when the two are played together in unison, it's then that we can understand more about God than any other time. So for David here, God reveals himself in Scripture and in creation. So play them together, he says. So Jesus does this, right? Jesus does this. And this was something, you know, during, while I was studying for this sermon, that it was just kind of like a, a light bulb. So Jesus treats both Scripture and the created world around him as text about God, T-E-X-T-S, text about God, okay? 
So you're very familiar, Jesus will say something like, you have heard that it was said, and then he'll quote scripture, and based on that, drive some meaning about God and the people who follow him, right? Based on this scripture, we know this about God, and this means this for you. You have heard that it was said, Jesus would say. But then he also pays attention to creation, and he would say things like, you see that fig tree or that lily? Or he'd say, consider the birds or the clouds or this mustard seed. And then he'd point to something that God created and say something about God based on that. So for him, creation is a sacred text about God, similar to how Scripture is a sacred text. So David, here in our psalm, he wakes up one morning. He sees the sun arcing across the sky, and he's moved by it. Like G.K. Chesterton said, maybe God's up there every morning telling the sun, hey, do it again. Do it again. David wakes up and he realizes he knows more about God because he pays attention to the sun as it moves across the sky. David's always been thankful for Scripture, for what he's learned about God there in the Torah. But on this morning, he hears the piano playing, right, maybe for the first time. And he realizes he needs to listen to that, too, that you can hear the echo of God's voice and wild things. So what do modern people like you and me who live in air conditioning do with this psalm? Right? Okay, what's the takeaway? Well, I think it's pretty simple. We each long to know God. If, if you didn't wish for that, you wouldn't be here this morning. All right. We each long to know God. And we can know a lot about God from studying God's Word and Scripture. But we could learn more about God by occasionally paying attention to creation. Okay? By learning to be present with God outside in the world that He fashioned. But that's going to be the challenge. So that's the video that we started with, right? Uh, this video about parents and grandparents who grew up picking blueberries and growing watermelons and watching bears while they went fishing and they ask this boy what his favorite thing to do is, and he says, video games, right? Our world's changing. There's one part in that video we edited out where this boy says, whenever I get upset, I play video games, and I feel normal. It's really wonderful. Hmm, the peace of video games. I wonder if anybody's going to write a poem about that. I mean, it seems a little bit more improbable even than the piece of wild things, doesn't it? So, how many of you have read the book The Giving Tree, right? Yeah, you're about to tear up just thinking about it. It's the saddest children's book ever written, okay? So, in The Giving Tree, which you, you see behind me, this boy and this tree just love each other, okay? This boy spends all day playing in the tree, climbing through its branches, wallowing in its leaves. He just loves this tree, and the tree loves the boy in return. But one day, the boy's focus changes. It starts with a girl and then a professional life, and he, he just needs money, okay? He needs resources, so the tree just offers himself to the boy, and the boy takes his limbs first and eventually cuts him down until he's a stump. It is <clears throat> the saddest children's book ever written. So the great travesty of the book, though, the great travesty of the book is not that, it's not that one tree was 
Let's chop down, okay? The travesty is what the book is trying to say about our relationship with God's creation. That all of us, like Noble, are born with this wonder and awe and appreciation for God's creation, right? I can remember asking my dad, why did God make this like that? Can't you remember asking that question? That all of us are born with that, the same awe that's written all over Noble's face when he looks at the sycamore tree. But at some point, for many of us, our relationship with creation just changes. We grow out of that old awe and that desire to be out there experiencing God's creation, and our relationship with nature becomes just kind of, well, transactional. We use it. It serves us, but we don't pay it a lot of attention, and we certainly don't stop to appreciate it. I've been guilty of it. So what if we are really missing out? What if we are really missing out? Not just on a good time outside. What if we're missing out on knowing God? So I think, okay, I think you can be a Christian and not be an outside kind of person. All right? I think it's okay to be a Christian and not like camping, for example. If you like to sleep in a bed and take a shower and not out there with bugs and snakes, that's okay, I think. But there is, I think, this peace of God, okay, peace of God, an echo of God's voice available to those who go outside and pay attention to the wild, okay, who stop to appreciate it, to thank God for it. So you can love God, I think, without all that outside mumbo-jumbo, but you can know God better with some of it. Or let me, let me put it like this. I don't reckon taking an occasional walk in the woods is a salvation issue, but if you could know the God who saves you a little better, then a walk in the woods might not be a bad idea. So here are some possible ways to appreciate God's creation right here in Memphis. I know this isn't Colorado, okay? I know this isn't the West Coast, but we've, we're actually blessed with some incredible created spaces like Shelby Farms, right? So these are, these are places you know. Urban Park right here, incredible resource for us. Got buffalo in it, trails, fish, squirrels, the zoo. So this was one of the things while reading the Psalms. So many times in the Psalms, what moves Israel and David specifically to praise are animals. Okay, just looking at them. They're, they're majestic, like these grizzlies behind us. Probably not our favorite grizzlies in Memphis, but they're, they're not bad. The Greenway. Okay, the green line. So both of these are paved paths that make their way over rivers and streams, under canopies of trees with cicadas buzzing, birds chirping, squirrels and beavers right here in Memphis. And lastly, we have a prayer path that circles this building. Okay, some of you have been on it, so you don't even know about it. Okay, it's about a mile long. It starts up here in in, uh, this picnic area that we have is where the trail officially starts. And it just winds its way through the woods around our building. And as you go, there are stones that have different psalms on them and questions about what to pray for, how to direct you to look towards God in his wild places, to be thankful for it, and to reflect on what that means for your life right here on campus. And I want to encourage you to use it. So here behind me are some other images that some of you have taken, okay? Places in Memphis where you have felt God's presence, present 901. It's not too late to throw one up if you, if you want to see that after service. So let me stop here and say, if you're discouraged, those are going behind me, you can keep watching. If, if you're discouraged, right, 
if you realize, man, it's been 100 degrees, I haven't been outside in months, right? I, I understand that. If you realize that you've kind of been passing through God's created world, just moving from one place to another and never really noticing what's going on around you, the trees, the wild, the piece of wild things, right? That's okay because God's still there. Let me, let me end with this psalm. Psalm 139, which says, Where, then, can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. If you haven't yet given your life to the God who created this world around you, why would you want to give your life to anyone else? Yeah. Maybe today's the day to take him on in baptism. If you'd like prayer, if you'd like this community to lift you up to our creator and prayer, we'd be glad to do that today. Will you join us as we stand and sing? And you are there, and you are there, and you are there, and you are there. So where can I go from your spirit? Because any place that I choose to go, you're already there. And if I go to the heavens, if I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle by the sea, I know your hand is always there to guide me. Yes, and you are there. You are there. I know you're there. You are there. your presence cause when trouble is in my way you're already there and I will not go from your spirit before a word of mine is said and in the depths I lay my head in the shadow of your wings, you're there to hide me. Oh, hide me, you are there. You are there. I know you're there. You are there. Holy Spirit, you're there. You are there. Are 
You are there. I know you're you are. 